Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. It can be found on page 979 of the Pew Bibles. Before we read God's word, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. As we come to your word, please melt our hearts of stone that we can hear your word, that we can absorb your word, that we can live your word. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The word of God for the people of God. Reached the finally. Um, Paul is concluding um, his message and he's kind of summing up things as the, the call to arms, the call to engage. So, as he does, it would be helpful for us to kind of review where we've been because he picks up some of these themes. In the, the first chapter, Paul um, goes over all the blessings that we have in Christ. Um, of the, the great riches he's given us with a reminder that he has seated us in authority over spiritual powers, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, Christ is over them, and his prayer is that we might know the riches of the inheritance that we have. The second chapter, he reminds us of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith, nothing that we do, but our redemption from sin is also a new life seated with Christ in the heavenly places. He prays and um, or talks in, in chapter 3 that we don't lose heart uh, as we see the difficulties of this life, as they see Paul's imprisonment, that we know um, that we're strengthened by the Spirit. And his prayer is that we might know the strength that we have, that we might know the riches that we have, and that he reminds us of all these things and prays that, that we really have them and that we're able to live lives guided by the Spirit. And then chapters 4 and 5, that we, we walk united in this love, guided by the Spirit together in our life together, sharing the gifts that we have, and then working out in our families and our workplaces, all the um, uh, ramifications of the gospel of living in that, that strength and living in the Spirit. And now he calls us, um, and uh, we will be beginning soon to, to look at um, each piece of armor and, and looking at what that means. But, but we, we hear these commands. He has, gives us two, one that we be strong and that we take up the armor. So we're called to be strong. This is God's command to his people often through the Old Testament. As, as they crossed into the promised land where the Canaanites were, he told them, be strong you're going into conquerors. As the people went to war, be strong. 
And it is appropriate that we remember that we are called to stand strong in the faith. There's been a trend in the past, I don't know, decade or so, I think a helpful one for us to recognize and admit our failures, but a lot of talk of people being broken and being weak. And we need to be candid about that. There's a reason we confess our sins at the beginning of every service. It's appropriate that we're honest about our failures, that, that we admit that we are sinful people, that we are all broken in ways. And yet, the good news is that's not where God leaves us. Yes, we're broken, but he has made us whole. Yes, we are sinners, but he has forgiven us and called us to a life of obedience. And so we recognize that brokenness and the failures and the sin, but we don't use that as someplace where we can wallow and just say, therefore, I'm just going to not try. I'm, I'm going to give up on pursuing virtue. I'm not going to do what God calls me to do because God recognizes that I'm a sinner, that I'm, that I'm finite, that I'm weak. We are called to be strong, to be firm in the faith, to be resolved, and to find our strength and, and to, to stand in that strength we should be contending for the faith. We should be a people of conviction and of resolve. We should be people who are um, um, increasing in our strength, that we're maturing and that we're growing and living into what God has done for us. But the good news is that we do so in His strength. Be strong but he's not just saying muster up your willpower, get over your brokenness, stop everything by um, trying harder. What are we called to do? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The, the whole prayer that he had that you might know his strength is not that I can just, I can do a good job and I can do better, but it's that you have gifts and resources available. God has blessed you, therefore be strong, but be strong in the Lord. And so we're, we're no longer just saying we're broken, we're sinful, we're weak, but now we say, I am weak, but in Christ I'm strong. Now let the one who is weak say, I am a warrior. Now let the one who is poor say, I'm rich. That, that we recognize in him we have an inheritance, we have strength, and we have blessings. So this is what he's calling us to do, is to live out of the strength God has given us, the gospel. And so we do so, strengthening ourselves in his strength and his might, but also taking up the armor, but likewise, it's the armor of God. It is his armor that we take up. We're going into war. We're going against the cunning and the tactics of the enemy. But we do so putting on God's armor. You know, um, too many, I think kind of approach the spiritual life as um, something we cobble together, right? I mean, the number of people who, who kind of talk about, you know, I take a little bit here and a little bit there, that we, we approach the spiritual life almost, and I think it's because we've inherited from the Romantics this idea that, that real spirituality is spontaneous. Real spirituality, to be authentic, has to be novel, has to be something new. Real spirituality is kind of, to be personal, it has to be unique, and so we cobble together our own armor, taking a bit here and a piece there, maybe ignoring what we don't like. 
In other words, we, we kind of approach the spiritual life more as a buffet rather than realizing you've been enlisted and here's your standard issue equipment. God calls you and he gives you the life to live and the disciplines. Not, not that we aren't completely unique and the way your prayer life is is different you know, than mine. And, and, and all of us have different personalities and the way those lived out, but we're all called to the same armor. We're all called to produce the same fruit. We're all called to um, the same means of grace. You can't piece this together. You receive the armor God has given us and we do so um, going into war armed with what he has given ourselves. We don't approach the spiritual life as though we're going on a trip to the park. We're bracing ourselves for an altercation with hostile forces. You don't wear armor to a picnic. And it might be nice to kind of express your individuality uh, with whatever you know, clothes you want to wear. But if you go to war, you, you wear what is tested and what's going to work and what has been issued to you by our God. So we take his armor, and we let's look at what this armor is. It is the whole armor. So the, the word that's translating there is um, the, the word we get panoply from. I'm sure you were using the phrase earlier today of just saying, honey, look at this wonderful panoply of things. But panoply means it's, it's an array. It's a huge, impressive thing. You, you, you take on the whole armor. It's God's armor, but you have to take all of it. Uh, you arm yourself with every bit because any exposure leaves yourself vulnerable. Those of you who are Hobbit fans of the book, not the movies. Movies were junk, but the book. Do you remember... Smog, showing off his wonderful army. Smog the dragon for you non-nerdy people. He's, he's showing off to the, the hobbit his wonderful armor, and it's all beautiful, and it's all great. And what does Bilbo recognize is there's a missing scale, and they get word to the archer. So no matter how much armor and how beautiful and amazing the dragon's armor was, the archer was to take him out with piercing where there was no armor. We have to have the whole armor. We can't pick and choose the pieces we like or the ones that are easiest to us or the ones that are attractive. We arm ourselves in the way God has given us so that we have no Achilles heel exposed to the enemy. In other words, we don't take up a shield of faith and overlook the breastplate of righteousness. We, we don't take boots of gospel without a belt of truth. We equip ourselves in different ways to make sure we're covered we, we do this by attending to the means of grace. God's given us special things. We, we listen to his scripture. We hear his word. We read it day in and day out. We, we gather as a group to ask questions of it. We hear it proclaimed here in worship, and we, we hear his word. And it, it, it is one of the ways we arm ourselves. We pray, um, spending time with God and communing with God deep in prayer we're strengthening our faith. We're drawing us closer to righteousness. We enjoy the fellowship of other believers, and it, it strengthens our armors. We, we come to this table, and in doing so, we, we are encouraged in our beliefs. Our faith is strengthened. And so we don't just kind of pick and choose which parts we like. We are called to pursue all of these things, and so we can't omit them. Let me um, say all of us have parts that are a lot easier to us than others. 
Some of you might find it easier to study Scripture than to pray. Some of you might find it much easier to enjoy fellowship with others than to give financially. Some of you might be really interested in missions, but less interested in um, other forms of service. We all have different things that kind of say, that's what excites me. Let me encourage you, if you were to just kind of look at what we're called to do in these areas of teaching and fellowship and and sharing with one another and being generous in in our prayer life. If if we look at those things, what is it that you find yourself having to push yourself to? What what is the the most resistance for you? Um, Because it's not that I can make up for a lack of a prayer life by reading more. Let me examine your heart and see where God might be convicting you that this is an area I'm, I'm admitting, I'm neglecting. And let me encourage you just as we take up the offering, as we come to this table, maybe, maybe commit yourself to do just one little step. Maybe if, if you don't pray as a family to say, we're going to pray uh, one meal a day for two weeks. Maybe, maybe you don't read Scripture daily. You don't have that habit. Just say, you know, for the rest of the month, I'm going to read one chapter out of Mark. Just If you don't give, just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give... $5 a week for a month. Just something where you don't find yourself going naturally. See if there might be a way you can take a baby step towards doing that. For we need to be strengthened even in those weak spots. We don't need to leave anything exposed because this is nothing less than cosmic battle. This is nothing less than wrestling against authorities and powers and principalities, forces of evil, Satan's devices in the heavenly places. The Bible is very clear there are evil spirits. The Bible is very clear there is a spiritual reality that we don't see. And I think we can go to one extreme of thinking exorcist movies, and saying, well, you know, I haven't seen anything like that lately. I don't know if, Baker, if you ever get a call, let me know. Or you don't do that anymore. But, you know, if, I don't think there's been many calls. On, um, or we go to the other extreme and just think, oh, those were superstitious people back there. But there is evil. And there, there's, I mean, don't we see how there's trends that come and go? That, that there's some concerted effort above us that is um, leading people in to horrible ends. And, and it kind of changes what that deception is, but we are just led into horrific things. And I think we ignore that in part because I don't think we see what those strategies are, what those devices are. I, one of the more helpful books for this is Screw Tape Letters. And if you have read that, it's a series C.S. Lewis wrote of, of letters from uh, an older demon to a younger demon talking about how to uh, fight against a Christian. And what I love about that is it points out how often for most of us, the spiritual warfare is through very mundane, simple things that we don't recognize. And think about it. If, if, if Satan can disrupt your marriage by making you more irritable because you didn't get the rest you should have had. 
if Satan can keep you out of worshiping with a fellowship because you take offense at some remark someone said, if, if Satan can keep you from prayer just by um, another stupid recipe video coming up in your Facebook feed, why in the world would Satan go to the trouble of doing anything more? I mean, if you're out of commission just because you're so easily distracted with something on television, I mean, that, that's just, why would he need to bring out the big guns in ways that we see? Spiritual warfare is through those discipline, through, through virtue, and it's, it's just simple things of, I mean, I, I can remember of just starting a day feeling wonderful, great mood, and all of a sudden something from 15 years back that made me mad came to remembrance. Now, it might just be that I'm petty, might just be that Satan can use my pettiness to knock me off of a good attitude. Does that ever happen to you? Something very easily can, can throw you off course. And I, I think a lot of that is, well, his strategies. Let me, let me, let me, just a great story that shows some of Satan's strategies. September of 1788, Austria was in war with Turkey, and they were, had a, a group that was battling over control of the Danube River. This was near um, Karen Sebes. I know you don't know where that is, but I looked it up so I could pronounce it. They sent out on the night of September 17th a cavalry um, unit to go and scout out for the advanced army of Turks. Cavalry unit takes its position on the other side of the river, and a band of gypsies come along. They happen to have a few bottles of schnapps, or a lot of bottles of schnapps, because they start to drinking. They figure they'll relax, they'll enjoy their fortune before they start war. They're drinking, and another friendly infantry group comes up to join them, and they decide they want some of the schnapps too, but the cavalry unit is not in a sharing mood. They start a fight. It's a brawl. And some point, a gunshot is fired. It starts a fight between this group. And meanwhile, across the river, the town army hears the gunshot and decides the Turks are attacking. They shout out, the Turks! So the cavalry and the infantry stop their brawling. They're drunk. They decide they need to get back and reinforce the town because they're under attack by the Turks. So as they come across the river, the group in the town sees them coming and thinks it's the Turks fighting. They begin to shoot at one another because there's they're under fire. They've decided the Turks have already taken the town, and they start fighting against one another. One of the reports says one of the um, generals or leaders shouts out, halt, which they think they're shouting out Allah, just reinforces further they're fighting the Turks. And so they fight, they start shooting artillery, 10,000 dead or wounded by the morning. Troops from Turkey come in and take the town. Now, just an amazing story. But look what they did. They, they, they forgot their mission. They forgot who their true enemy is. They, they forgot that they were even at war, deciding they're just going to have a party instead. And isn't that, I heard that story, and I just thought, that sounds like the church. This is Satan's strategy. 
This is what Satan does. These are the evil forces that their strategies, that's what his um, methods that were schemes of the devil or the military strategies that he wants to deceive us about who our true enemy is. So too often the church is fighting other victims of the enemy. We're fighting other people and we're saying, you know, if, if you only acted like Christians and, and kind of pretended to reinforce what we believed, everything would be good. And, and so we, we kind of forget that they're enemy or we fight amongst ourselves over non-essential issues and brothers and sisters are arguing more than we're going against the enemy. We forget brothers and sisters are not our enemy. Even others in our community who, who aren't believers, they're not the real enemy. The real enemy are spiritual forces that are using people, that are making victims of other people who have been deceived. We, we, we forget who our real enemy is. We forget what our mission is. We're called to proclaim Christ's kingdom, that the one who is rightfully over the world is coming in to reclaim things, and he offers amnesty and forgiveness to those who will turn to him before he comes to judge. And we are to proclaim this and make disciples of the king. And too often we think our mission is, let's make the world a more comfortable place for us here and now. Too often the the church thinks that it's more about building ourselves up too often, the, the, we, we decide the mission is um, anything other than proclaiming the gospel, and we get distracted on so many other things. Uh, one of the other strategies Satan uses is to make us think we're not at war. The idea of spiritual powers, who in the world talks like that? I mean, aren't we just here to have fun, and God wants us to be happy? Isn't that what this is really about? And, we're in a battle. I look at so many churches, and I, I think the goofiness makes you think they don't take this serious. I, too often in my own life, I, I show evidence that I, I don't take it serious enough, that how often I let the enemy's propaganda into my home, how often I'm distracted by little things rather than committing myself to putting on his armor. We are called to stand to put on all the resources God has given us to fight against the enemy and to stand. And I love the fact that he calls us to stand. He doesn't call you to win. He doesn't call you to defeat the enemy. He doesn't call you to overthrow the enemy. He calls us to stand. We arm ourselves and we stand against the Satan's attack because he's already won The victory is assured. Our Savior has come, and on the cross, he has destroyed death. He's destroyed the evil one. Satan is a defeated foe. We don't have to overthrow him because he has already been overthrown. The armor that we're given is tested armor because the one who is truth came and took death so that we don't experience. The one who is righteous defeated the enemy and clothes us who are not righteous in his righteousness. The one who is um, able to do more than we can ask or imagine has destroyed Satan, conquered him under his foot, has crushed the enemy's head, and gives us a helmet of salvation for those who trust in him. We have already won. The victory is assured. And so all we do is we stand firm and strong 
in the armor that has been tested and defeated the enemy and is now given to us. If you struggle with doubt, if you find temptation over and over again overcoming you, if, if you are, are facing difficulty that you are uh, worried and concerned and anxious about, know that he has given you resources in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our failures. He has given all that we need to stand against the enemy. Everything you need is at hand. We arm ourselves with it. We use it. We use this so that we can, at the end, stand. When I was in Alabama, there was a a woman who um, was in poor health, um, not sure completely the situation, um, not financially good position. We um, um, kind of reached out to her at times, had some relationships with her. Her son was part of our youth group. She died. And we didn't really know what was going on, what happened. And, and then we, we wondered maybe it was medicine. Maybe she didn't have the medicine she needed. Maybe she didn't have the resource she gave. And don't know exactly how we found out. Don't know all the details. But I know we were just stunned that she had thousands of dollars in checks in her purse. Prescriptions that hadn't been filled. And then all the resources to have gotten what she needed. Don't know what happened. But what a shame that she didn't use what had been given to her for her health and her strength. And brothers and sisters, what a shame that many of us go through this life struggling and hobbling alone because we don't use the resources God has given us. We can't stand because we won't put on the armor You have resources. Arm yourself with them. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.